Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. And if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. It moves down a path and it starts with dealing with those that reject God out of rebellion. They just want to do whatever they, their flesh tells them to do. Um, that there are those that reject God because they're overly religious and they think their self-righteousness has set them free. And he, he confronts that. And then we see this progression. And here as we get to chapters 8, 9, 10, he's really dealing with the Hebrew people, the, the Jews. He's dealing with the people he grew up with. He's dealing with his classmates and the people that his parents, his grandparents, the people that were closest to him in his culture, and he has such a heart for them. He has such a desire for them to come to Christ. And sometimes as we read the Bible, we may not understand how radical of a change it would be to leave the traditional Jewish culture and become a Christian, to follow Christ. To say that Jesus is Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. He is the completion of all the old, uh, all the old prophets that have told us uh, of God's purpose of a, of a Messiah come to set us free. That that was such a radical shift. And many people were shunned. Many people were ostracized. Many people uh, lost so much by following Christ. But in the end, Jesus said, if you lose it all, you're going to gain it all, really. And so we, we understand that. But he had a heart. And one of the things I desire to have is Paul's heart. And we're going to see his heart as we read chapter 9 here. He wanted people to get saved. And I can tell you in my life, probably the one thing I knew the Holy Spirit was really working on me personally was having a love for people. Um, because I don't know about you, but it's easy to discredit people. It's easy to compartmentalize people. It's easy to judge people on superficial things and pretend like certain people matter and other people don't. And I think our world lives like that, right? Our world divides everybody up into who really matters and who doesn't matter. And there's not a, there's not a love across the board or the valuing of people across the board. It's kind of like the haves and the have-nots, those that are important and those that are not important. And so that's, that was what, to me, having a passion for the lost and uh, recognizing that without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, it doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter all you accomplish. Without Christ, life is broken and hopeless. And as I was thinking about this, George had shared with us in our last meeting about a movie he had seen uh, that really inspired him. Uh, and there was a movie that came out, and it was based on a true story called Hacksaw Ridge. Some of you might be familiar with this. Uh, it was a true story of private first class Desmond T. Doss. Um, and then this is a picture of actual hit the, the, the person, Desmond Dawes. Uh, he was, he went in the military at the end of World War II. Uh, he fought in Okinawa. And as a young man, he had an abusive, alcoholic father. And he had a very traumatic incident with a weapon, a gun. And that had really caused some scarring in his mind that he decided he would never use a gun in his life. And so as a young man, he had made a, a moral choice to say, I'm not going to ever touch a gun. But he felt the call to get involved with the military. He had a passion for his country. He wanted to defend our freedom. And so he enlists, but as a one who would say that they would not use a weapon, right? And so he goes in and he's put in this troop. And obviously he's not received well. He's not received well for this decision. They're saying, you want to fight with us, but you're not going to take a weapon up. Uh, what good are you, right? And he had thought he could go in as a nurse and he could work that avenue out, um, that that would be his approach, but they didn't let him go that approach. And so he was belittled and ostracized and treated very, very poorly in his training and in his initial time when he got over uh, to the battle. 
But they got to part of their mission was to climb up this ridge and to, to hold the ridge, to take the ridge. And it was an extremely difficult battle. Um, as they went over, they had high casualties. Well, many of the men knew as they're going to go over this ridge. And one of the things to me that's so powerful about these wars is the willfulness of men to go to battle knowing that more than likely that's their last moment on this earth. That they sacrificed that so that we could meet here and talk about Jesus. Like that's overwhelming, right, when we think about that. And so they're going over the ridge and he gets stuck up there. And many of his, his uh, uh, those that he trained with, those that were part of his grouping, they were dying. They were dying all around him. And um, many retreated back over, over the ridge. And that night, um, it was thought that all of that group had been killed, but he was still alive, and he was pulling guys that weren't totally dead. They were, had been shot and wounded, but they were still alive. He was pulling them to the edge, and he was, with a rope, helping them get back down to the safe spot so that they could be found. And he began to do this the entire night. And it is said that he helped save 75 men. 75 men. And if you watch, there's a biography about him. And he would pray. He would say, God, if I can just one more, if I can save one more, if I can just save one more guy, if I can just get one more over the cliff, if I can get one more to safety. And it was such a powerful testimony because he, he didn't see that, that there was so much death. He didn't look around and say, this is hopeless and pointless. What's the point of me doing any of this? There was something within him that said, even if they're almost dead, they're not dead. Even if they have major wounds and major uh, shrapnel and all these things in them, they're not dead. There is hope still. And so he committed himself and he ended up living and coming back and he was awarded for this. But as I, you know, as I came about watching this biography and seeing this man's life story, all I could think in my mind is, do I love people's souls as much as this man cared about his fellow soldiers. Do I pray to God just one more, Father, please, just one more. One more, just one more. If it, if it be your will, please help me to bring one more to you. And you know, in this room right now, I guarantee all of us have someone we love desperately that is a pain in our heart because maybe they're not where we think they should be. Maybe they're not walking with the Lord. I would, I would find it hard to believe that there's anyone in this room that doesn't know someone that they're burdened for. And this morning, as we look at Romans chapter 9, my prayer is that we would be able to trust God, but really consider what is God doing in the midst of these things. How do we reach the people we love? How do we reach those people? How do we have any impact? How do we see the transformation that only God can do? How can we in our lives have that desire for those that we love, those that we don't even know, to come to know Christ as their Savior. Because the time is limited. This battle is coming to an end. And we're not guaranteed any more moments. So today matters. This moment matters. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak clearly to us through his word. He would inspire us to see the world the way he does, to see it the way it really is and have a desire to invite others to be part of his kingdom. Let's precede his word in prayer as we go to it now. Father, we are thankful that you loved us 
And that, Lord, even on the cross, you turned to a criminal and said, today you will be with me in glory. Even as you're ridiculed and mocked by a crowd, ridiculed and mocked by the other criminal on the cross, your focus was clear, it was concise, you knew your mission, you accomplished your mission, you established a way where there was no way. And Lord, today, as, as we celebrate that, the day you raised from the grave, Lord, as we celebrate the truth that we've been set free from sin and death, Lord, help us to love people the way you told us to love people as you love them. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. And Lord, that you would give us clarity when it comes to especially those we know well, maybe our family members, maybe a close friend, maybe someone in our life that means a lot to us. That Lord, we want to come to you and ask you to give us wisdom and understanding as we desire for them to know you. Lord, we pray that you'd bless this time, that you would give us an insight that we may not have had before. Lord, help us to trust you in what you tell us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 9. If you don't have them, it will be on the screen. Uh, and we'd love to get you a Bible if you don't have one or if you would download an app. There's plenty of great Bible apps that you can download. But I think it's important. We're told that we do not live by bread alone, but every word that precedes the mouth of God. And that those words were recorded in what we call the Bible. And uh, we get to digest and get nourished by his word today. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 9. Uh, we're going to go to verse 6 initially because I think this gives us some of the context of what Paul was dealing with in his time and something that we can relate to today. Verse 6 through 8, it says this, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel, nor because uh, they are his descendants, they are all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by the physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. And so here that we, we see that Paul is dealing with his brothers and sisters, those he grew up with, the culture in which he lived, and they had a firm belief that they were the chosen ones because God had chosen the nation of Israel. But what they did not recognize is that he had much more of a spiritual plan than a, than a national plan in this part of his plan. And he had chosen them for one reason, so that he may come through them and be the Messiah. Not that by saying, well, I can go to Ancestry.com and find out that Abraham's my great-great-great-great-grandfather, so therefore I'm saved. But unfortunately, our human nature, our sinful nature, and we all fall into this trap as well, they found something that they could latch on to and say, I am part of a family that is separate from everybody else. We have been chosen. Therefore, I am saved through my lineage. I am saved through my heritage. I am saved because of my family name. I am saved because of my bloodline. And they were putting all of their hope and faith and belief in the fact that they were part of the right family. They were born into the right family. It just so happened that they got born in the right place in the right time to the right people. Therefore, they are saved. And Paul's uh, deal with that way of thinking is you misunderstand the scripture. God's word hasn't returned void. It wasn't God's mistake. You look at Abraham, I want you to look at Isaac. What did God have 
uh, Abraham do with Isaac? He took him to a place to sacrifice him. There was the symbolism of the Messiah setting them free from sin. Uh, God did not come to set them free from Rome. He came to set them free from sin and death. And they were misguided and they misunderstood and they did not see clearly what God's plan was. And so uh, they were going and putting their faith in anything but God, right? If you think about it, they're really putting their faith in Abraham. They're really putting their faith in a nation. They're really putting their faith in the stability that, or, or the truth that they've learned from those who came before them. And they were putting their faith in something that was other than God and what God had to say for that moment. And, you know, I, I grew up in church, and many of you I know grew up in church, and you can easily say I'm saved because I was born in a Christian family. I went to a church that taught the Bible. Therefore, I'm a Christian. And all those things are great, but they don't make you a Christian. Me growing up in a pastor's home, I didn't get it by osmosis. I didn't get salvation because my dad was a believer. I didn't get it because I was taught the truth. I didn't get salvation because I knew the gospel. I got salvation because I repented and believed and confessed Jesus as my Lord. And by doing so, I received the gift of eternal life. It was a personal decision. It was a spiritual decision. It was a decision uh, of lordship and uh, sin that needed to be dealt with. And so as we come to this, we need to recognize it's easy to judge these Hebrews for missing it. But we all miss it at some place and some time. We all misunderstand it. I grew up thinking if you're a good enough person and do good things, plus Jesus on the cross equals heaven. I was wrong. There's nothing I can add to the work of salvation. He has completed it. And maybe you even still today feel like, well, I have to do the do's and not do the don'ts. And if I do too many of the don'ts, then his salvation won't be complete. And that is a challenge we all struggle with because we are taught things. Things have been said to us that, that make their way deep into our thinking and can distract us from the truth. And so as we look at the world around us and we look at what God has revealed, we need to make sure that we're not putting our faith in anything but what God has revealed through his scripture to us. And so there's a problem. There's obviously a problem that we have. Romans 9, 2 through 4 kind of brings the problem to the surface. It says, if I have great sorrow and increased anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul's saying his heart is so broken because they have been deceived. His heart is so broken. I don't know. I don't, maybe you could say this. I don't know if I could say, I would rather go to hell so that someone I know could go to heaven. But that's what he's saying. His love for his people, his love for that group of people was so great that he says, I am in anguish over you all the time. I'm in anguish because I desire so much for you to know the truth. And I can tell you there's people in my life that I'm in anguish over, that I wish they knew the truth. I wish that they had the Holy Spirit guiding them and leading them in their life. I desire so much for them to be saved. I desire so much for them to be uh, learning and growing and falling in love with Christ. But you know, it's not my timing, it's Christ's timing. I can't force, no, no, I can't. If you're in this room and you don't believe, I can't make you believe. If you're in this room and you have people in your life that don't believe, you can't make them believe. That is the beauty, but that is also the challenge of the gospel. That it is a personal decision. 
It's a decision that we need to make on our own. But I think the question I have for me as I read this, the thing that jumps off the page is, do I truly love? Do we truly love people the way that Paul loved people? Does it bother us at all that there are people in their houses right now, less than a mile away, that have no true, honest understanding of the gospel? Does that bother us? Does that, does that, is there something within us that says that's not right, that needs to change? Is there something stirring within us that we see a world that is dying and is lost and, and it needs to be saved? You see, because you know what my flesh says? My flesh says, well, what's the temperature in here? And did I like this or did I not like that? Or was I comfortable with that? Or did I think that was a good decision? Because what I'm willing to complain about is the stuff my flesh tells me to complain about. To make sure everything in this world is exactly the way I think it should be. And so my flesh leads me to this place to where I'm upset and I'm angry because things aren't the way I think they should be. And those things are all related to me and my comfort and what I think is best. Do you, do you, do you see that this is the challenge? Our flesh will lead us to complain and have uh, an attention to the things that make our life uncomfortable. But we need to be led by the Spirit. And when we're led by the Spirit, it leads us to care about the lost. It, it leads us to a place that I'm going to Pastor Mike and saying, I am so upset that people don't know Jesus around here. I'm so upset that there's a school full of kids that are going to die and not know Jesus. I'm so upset that there's a, there's a bridge right here that leads to a, a, a whole road of condos and buildings of people that do not know Jesus. And that makes me upset. And that bothers me and it breaks my heart. And I, I, I can't keep going this way thinking everything is all right. Because there's lostness everywhere. Listen, if you get one more creature comfort, does it really matter? If everything works out exactly the way you want it, the way you think it should, does that really matter? Or do the souls of men and women and children matter? And Paul says here, he is burdened to the place that he would take their place. I'm not there yet. I, I want to be there. That is my goal, that I love people like that. But I'm not there yet. It's hard to think that way. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can he transform us to love people with that kind of love. That we would love them so much that we would choose our own destruction so that they could have victory. His heart was broken. Our hearts need to be broken. Amen. And we really need to be honest with ourselves of what breaks our heart. If the stock market breaks our heart, what do we really love? If gas prices break our heart, what do we really love? I mean, yes, we should be, we, all those things matter but they don't matter nearly as much as the eternal nature of human beings, the eternal souls of those who are around us. Romans chapter nine, verse 30 says this, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. One thing that's so important to understand is as children, the Hebrews were taught that Gentiles were the worst possible thing on the earth. 
There were rabbis that would teach that the reason that God created the Gentiles was he needed logs for hell. Okay? They hated the Gentiles. And to think that God would save a Gentile person was despicable in their sight. And I think God allowed that to happen, and I think this is very important that we recognize. He allows that mindset within all of us so that when we change, we know we've changed. Amen? When I've changed, if I start loving the things of God and I recognize, wow, I hated the things of God before, I know I've changed. I know the power of the Holy Spirit is working in my life. I know I've been transformed. All that is old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How do I know? Because I'm radically different. I don't judge people the way I used to judge people. I don't categorize people the way I used to categorize people. I, didn't value, I don't value people the way I used to value people. Not because Mike is a wonderful, nice guy but because of the power of the Holy Spirit that changes you over time. And he, he, he conforms you to his image. He makes you like himself. And so here, by faith, the Gentiles are being saved. And this was the big problem. And you know what? In the church today, it's still the big problem. Is it by faith or is it by my works? Is it by faith or by where I grew up and who I grew up and what they taught me? Is it by faith or is it something else? Are you saved by faith? And let me say this. This is so important. Faith is not just knowing in your mind something is true. James tells us even the demons know about the spiritual realm and the gospel and the truth. It is a faith that takes motion. I shared this. I shared it this morning and I'll share it again because it is so helpful for me because I think about this all the time. There was a great tightrope walker. And he would walk across the tightrope between two buildings. And they say, oh, you're really gifted at this. You're good at this. And so he would train and train and train. He got really good. He was so confident. Uh, they had a canyon in the town. And he would set up this tightrope across the canyon. And he would walk back and forth. And hundreds of people from all these different towns would come to watch him and say, wow, this guy is awesome. He has no fear. Because if he were to fall, he'd be dead. And then he got a wheelbarrow. And he filled it full of bricks. And he pushed that wheelbarrow across uh, the, the tightrope. And People cheered before he went. He said, do you think I can do this? He said, yeah, we know you can do this. And so he would go all the way across the ravine and back with all these bricks. And then he came back and he poured out all the bricks. And he said, okay, you, you guys think I'm good at this. You trust me, don't you? And he said, yeah, you're the best. There's no one like you. He said, okay, I need a volunteer. <laughs> How many hands do you think raised for that volunteer? Was it a logical reason? Not completely. It wasn't a logical problem. It was a faith problem. I knew he could do it with me in that wheelbarrow. I just didn't want to try it out. Right? And when it comes to faith in Christ, he doesn't want you to know that he can do it. He wants you to get in the wheelbarrow so he will do it. It is faith that's transformative. It is faith that is in motion. It is a faith that says he is my Lord and my Savior. And this is the faith that they, the Gentiles understood. It was not a faith built on how good or bad they were. It wasn't a faith built on who they were born to. It wasn't a faith on anything but Jesus' death, burial, resurrection had saved them from sin, and now they could live in right relationship with God. That became the faith of the Gentiles. That was what the church was built on. That's what we're meeting today to talk about. We are part of that lineage. And we're going to keep talking about faith that leads to salvation. 
And so God's word did not return void. It was not wrong when he chose a nation and he brought a Messiah out of that nation. But that wasn't the end of the story. The story continued to Christ. And then Christ saved all that call upon his name. And the problem was is that they stayed back and didn't take that grace-based faith. Grace-based, you are saved by grace, not of your works, lest any man should boast. Right? I don't boast about my salvation because Mike's good. I boast because God's the only one that can save me through Christ, and he is good. And there's a challenge in this. Because as we see in verse 31, as we continue on, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, they tried to do, they tried to obey all the rules in the law, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but as if they were by works. They stumble over the stumbling stone, as it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes the people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The stumbling block. I say this all the time, and this is my prayer, and this is something that I've been convicted about, and this is something I wish all of us would be convicted. If my prayer would be, we would all be in agreement on this, that the only thing that people walk away from Jesus about is Jesus. That they don't walk away from Jesus because Pastor Mike's a liar, or Pastor Mike says one thing and does another, or Pastor Mike is fake, or Pastor Mike is a hypocrite. I don't want anyone to say, I didn't come to Jesus because this guy who talked about Jesus didn't live it out. Right? I don't want the obstacle for someone coming to Christ be Mike Bailey because he is a flawed human being or he chose sin. I want the thing that keeps them from coming to Christ is Christ himself. That when they get to that cross, and they understand that he died on this cross for all their sins, that they may repent and believe in this, and they'll have eternal life. And they say, no, I don't want it. No, I'm more comfortable in the darkness of my sin. I do not want the light of this in my life. I don't want things changing. I don't want him as my Lord. Whatever it is that they have with God is between them and God, but I do not want the stumbling block to be Michael Bailey. And I do not, and I think we would all agree, we do not want Port Orange Baptist Church to be the stumbling block why people do not come to Jesus. There's only one stumbling block, and it better be the cornerstone, Jesus himself. It can't be because we're jerks to people out in the, in the real world, or we're, uh, we criticize, or we undermine, or we cut corners. We have to live out our faith so that they look at Christ and Christ alone. <coughs> because they're living in a works-based faith. Every religion and even atheism is works-based. If you're a good person, you live a good life, that's the goal. Good, good, good. You be good, but where does good come from? Can you be good? Is it possible to be good without God? It was a works-based system that led them away from the Lord. But Paul gives us a very powerful statement, and this is where I think we're being led. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. You see, our part is putting our faith in Christ. His part is all the rest. It was amazing when, when George was sharing and he was talking about his wife passing and his friend passing and losing his house and losing his, 
his van and all these things. And yet, if you heard him, he said, it was, I, I never lost hope in God. I was never put to shame. And all, and all these things that would be destructive and destroy people's lives, things that if I built my whole life around my house or I built my whole life around my van or I built my whole life around my relationship, as soon as they break, I am put to shame because I have no hope. He said, no, I still had hope. And that is the testimony I pray we all would have. That there is nothing in this world that can be taken from us that we would lose our hope in Christ. That, our, that we would never be put to shame because we would never lose our faith in Christ. He says, if you keep your faith in me, you'll have no reason to feel shame. If you put your faith in me, you'll have no reason to wish you would have done it a different way. You know, I've met so many people, so many people that choose to go down the path of I'm going to make my life, I'm going to make it work, I'm going to be successful, I'm going to do all these wonderful things. And you know how much regret they share with me? I regret this, I regret that, I regret this, I regret that. And then I meet with these wonderful people that have committed their whole lives to Christ and they become missionaries and they've, they've done everything, but they've lost a lot. And they've gone through all kinds of difficult things and they say, I wouldn't change it. I don't regret any of it because I know God led me to it. I know that God allowed me to go through this very difficult thing for his purposes. Therefore, I would not change it because there's no shame in following Christ. There's, there, there is fleshly disappointment, but never spiritual disappointment, right? We have, all of us in this room have had major losses. We've had major challenges. But we also know that God uses those for good. And so it doesn't take us to a place of despair, but to a place of greater faith. As we consider all these things, what is God telling you? What is he saying? I'm convicted all the time that am I, using, am I spending my whole life on me or am I spending it according to what Christ tells me to do? Because you get, right now we have energy, we have time. These are the things that God gives us with that we get to spend, right? How have you spent your energy? How have you spent your time? And I, my prayers, the past is frozen, isn't it? We can't do anything about yesterday, but we can do something about today. And to recommit ourselves to say that I trust the Lord with today. And to the best of my ability, I'm going to submit to the Holy Spirit's guidance in my life. And whatever he asks me to do, I'll be faithful in his calling on my life. You know, this is an interesting week. There's a guy named Maywin Sukkot that lived in the 4th century. And he was English, his dad was English, and they were well-to-do. His dad was actually in the church. And one day, these foreign invaders came and took over their village and killed everyone, and they took Maywin as a slave. And they put him on a boat, and they took him home. And while he was at home, uh, at this new place where he was now a slave, he was forced to go be a shepherd. And as he would sit and look at the stars, he would write down that I began to remember my grandfather, who was a very godly man, and he would, he would recite these prayers that his grandfather had taught him, and he began to think about the things of God, and he began to think about his purpose in life, and how could all this have happened to him, and if he could only get away, and he said, God, if you free me from this, I'm going to live the rest of my life for you, I'm going to commit my life to you. And so, 
after many years of being there, there was one night he was shepherding the sheep. It was late at night. And as he was praying, God said, it's time to go. It's time to go. And so he took a 200-mile track in a direction he didn't know was leading him anywhere. At the end of the track, he came up on the beach, and there was a giant ship there because there was a, uh, that was a place where the ports would come in. He went to the ship, and he said, hey, can I get a ride back to England because I have some extended family I need to, to connect with and get back my life? And the captain says, we're not taking anyone. We're not taking anyone. And so he began to walk down the beach and, and why, God? Why did you have me go through all this? Why all this just so that I would be turned away? Why all this just so I would be lost again? As he was thinking this and praying this, one of the young men on the ship came and ran up to him and said, that the, the captain's changed his mind. You can return. You can go with us. He, get back, he gets back to England. He goes to the church. He trains to become a priest. He changes his name and takes a Christian name. And he decides that he's going to commit his life to teaching God's word. But one night, he's, he's sleeping, and in a dream, some of the people he, he had imagined that were back in that place where he was a slave were screaming out, please come back. Please come back. Please come back to us. We need to hear about Jesus. And so he got on a boat. He returned to that island. And he went and started to establish churches all over the island. And he made his way back to the house where he had a very brutal master. And as his master saw him coming, he actually uh, lit the house on fire and went into the house because he said he did not want to be converted by his slave. And yet in recorded history, this is the first missionary ever to be sent from Europe to Ireland. And on Thursday, all over the country and all over the world, they're going to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Because St. Patrick recognized that his life was not just about him. He recognized that God didn't place him on earth, even though all of these obstacles, all of these overwhelming challenges were in his life. God had a much bigger plan for him. My question for us this morning, we hear these great stories of these soldiers saving people. We hear about a guy that every, whether they recognize it or not, they're giving praise to the glory of God because we're still talking about St. Patrick. And what did St. Patrick do? He brought Christianity to Ireland. To God be the glory. Right? God's going to get the glory even if people are using it as a party. Right? He's going to get the glory. The question is, question is, what are you and I doing? How, as he spoke to these people, he's speaking to us right now. What is he saying? I would encourage you first, consider who God has put in your life. Who has God put in your life today that you have a burden for? Instead of attacking them, ask God for guidance. Ask God to give you the words to say. Ask God to tell you what you should do next. And then finally, trust God's grace and timing. Trust God's grace and timing. You know, God waited for Abraham to be 75 years old before he communicated with him. We don't know God's timing, but his timing is perfect. 
Are you and I willing to trust that God loves whoever we love more than we love them? And he has his timing, which is perfect timing. What is God telling you today in regard to that person you deeply care about? How is he comforting you? Is he giving you wisdom? Are we putting our faith and trust in him right now?